so I, I, I understand one thing about being a pastor, and I, I hope you follow me sometimes, and then that is we can live in the world of the clouds, right? Of theology, of metaphysics, you know, if you sit down in a Bible study, all of a sudden I can go from like a question that's asked to like Plato and Socrates and all these people up here, and it's just a world that we live in. It's the strange world within the Bible too. Oftentimes you hear a scripture that's read, and, uh, and I know that some people who perhaps open the Bible for the first time, or perhaps grew up learning about the Bible their whole lives, will hear the scripture and they'll say to themselves, yeah, so I'm not really sure what exactly my takeaway for that is. Like, I don't know what is happening with that and I just can't, can't relate, right? And I think that's a, a challenge sometimes that people have a hard time relating with both the theologies that we talk about in church and then also within the scripture itself. And one of the reasons it's hard to relate is because we just have zero experience with the like tangible words of the Bible sometimes. And this morning's scripture, I think, is one of those times, at least at face value, right? I mean, how many of you have wandered off into the wilderness and have been given bread from heaven that, you know, kind of covered the ground and dew? And how many of you have wondered, in fact, instead, I'm not really sure exactly what that was all about or what it is. Unfortunately, today, I'm not going to go into the exegetical, which is like the fancy like, description of everything and how perhaps the, the manna that came from heaven was the excretion of these bugs that ate this particular sap on the Sinai Peninsula. We don't need to go there because I think that there's a much more practical implementation of this. And it's, in fact, really easy to think about once you just stop for a moment and take out the kind of ecstatic portions of it, like things that are like, you know, all of a sudden miracles happened. Because God is trying to teach something to us in this down-to-earth, not up-in-the-clouds scripture reading for us to practically take away in our everyday lives. Christians, I think more than a lot of other religions of the world, tend to fall into the trap that pastors do, right? Of like pie in the sky and thinking about clouds and heaven and all these sort of things that are abstract. In fact, it's even uh, related in how we live out our faith. You know, when we talk to people about what is important in our faith, we talk and often talk about prayer, right? Or we often talk about worship and song, you know, things that often can take place in our heads. But Other religions of the world, especially, and even some of the denominations within our own faith tradition, value our bodies and the earth. I mean, those of you who have Muslim brothers and sisters, right, there is a a way that you pray, and it includes your body's posture, right, that you would pray in the direction of Mecca. And that is an important component to prayer. And we see that sometimes and we think it's strange. And and what if I were to say that one of the takeaways of this scripture is that God has a, a desire for us as Christians around our eating habits. <laughs> you would say to yourself, well, that's the first time perhaps I've seen this or talked about this. Because it's just strange for us. To talk. I mean, some of us might have grown up in a Roman Catholic context where maybe during Lent we don't eat meat on Fridays or maybe we give up some sort of food like chocolate. But that's about the extent that we think that God has something to say about something as practical as something we do three times a day or more, right? Such as eating. But in fact, I think that God does have something to say about that. Other religions of the world, you know, they eat kosher or halal. 
And we as Christians sometimes wonder, what, what's that all about? And why would a God ever ask us to change the way we eat, right? We find ourselves in the midst of this sermon series enough, and the, one of the ways in which we see, I'm seeing this series kind of roll out is how we live here on earth and what it means for the ecological crisis that's going on throughout the globe, but most importantly, not about how we can go to White House and change the policies or whatever you know, the macro level is, but how might we as individuals respond and change the way we live, and perhaps those small steps might change the world. So, friends, I am good old Minnesota boy, and if you don't know the diet of Minnesotans, it is meat, potatoes, some meat, and then maybe some corn if it's in season, okay? They have, like, different things, like a tater tot hot dish, which is just, like, you throw in uh, ground beef, and then you add in some cream corn. You know, Stephanie's laughing. She grew up in Iowa. So, if you grew up in the Midwest, especially Minnesota, Iowa, Wisconsin, you know what I'm talking about. I mean, it's meat and potatoes country, right? And so, I'm used to that. My favorite meal growing up was steak, and I, you know, like, that was just my mentality. And then I went after college to uh, live and teach English in Japan. And so, some of you who have spent any time there know probably where this story is going because I would go into the grocery store because I was living there, right? You know, in local rural county of Utsunomiya or Tochigi Prefecture outside of Tokyo, well away. So it was was rural area. And there I went to the meat section because that's, you know, the only way I know how to cook. And then all of a sudden the meat was like, sliced, like deli meat, and it was packaged in these little tiny packages. And some of you who grew up in Hawaii, you know, like, this is part of your culture, you have that Japanese influence. But for a Minnesota, I was like, where's the steak, right? You know, like, where is it? Where's my big slab of meat? Like, nothing came the way that I wanted to. And whenever I ordered food at restaurants, I got used to having to order, like, the meal and a half when I would sit down at, like, the lunch with the kids and I would eat lunch in the classroom, the teacher would be so funny because they knew we were Americans that they would like bring out two versions of it, right? And you're going to a junior high school size lunch, but you know, our junior high schoolers eat a lot of food, right? You know, but I had to have all this extra food and get used to it. And so I got used to it and over the course of time I got used to it. But then when I came back to the States, I, I just came back to the States and kind of fell into my patterns. But it wasn't until I had some friends that came out here to the States to uh, celebrate Ashley and I's wedding. We had some of our friends that were out here with us. And that was my first experience, not of Japanese culture, right, but the reversal of my friends coming from Japan and experiencing some American culture. And I remember sitting down and Ashley's father-in-law, or uh, Ashley's father, my father-in-law, loves to cook big steaks. I mean, he's just like on the grill. And so he got out there and he grabbed this, you know, went to like, whatever the store is, and he prided it on like the double knuckle or whatever. And all that I heard for the rest of the dinner, and some of you who know Japanese can appreciate this, was sugoi, cho sugoi, sugoi, which means big, very big, big. And that's all they could say to themselves as there stood in front of what they thought was a cow in front of them, right? It was a cow in front of them. Because that's just the way a lot of us live, right? You know, that we just used to, you know, go to cheese fake, Cheesecake Factory and they'll give you like a portion you can eat for the entire week, right? You go to different restaurants and you get your to-go box because you just have so much food. But what if, what if God might be calling us through the story of the wilderness to a different sort of eating habit? See, because one of the principles, right, of this, 
wasn't just that they roamed in the wilderness and God took care of them. But in fact, built within this is a theme that we see consistent throughout all of scriptures. And that's a phrase that's within this scripture where it says, and all had enough. And all had enough. That God had provided for the Israelites as they were in the desert and all had enough. But this wasn't just, you know, what God did for them during this temporary time because God could have done a lot of things. God could have allowed them to build up some silos, right? Like what you and I probably would have done. Oh my gosh, there's food. Oh my gosh, we're in the middle of the desert. Let's gather up as much as we possibly can and let's store it in this giant silo or whatever we're going to do. The Israelites did that. And God said, but I told you to have just enough. Only on Saturdays, on Fridays, when you would gather, would you have enough for the Sabbath day, the extra each day you would wake up and know that the Lord your God is good because, not that you had an overabundance of food, but because you had enough. Because you had enough. We live in a society, and it's not just good old Minnesota, where everyone would have more than enough at the dinner table. That's the hope, right? that you have leftovers for the week, that you have more than enough food. I remember when I was a pastor in North Carolina, it was startling. We started working with this nonprofit that started to provide after-school lunches to kids in the community. Started to provide after-school lunches to kids in the community, and they built their model. It was called Table, that they all would have a place to eat at the table. And they would say to us that in our county, which was a privileged county because it was down in North Carolina where the University of North Carolina is, not too far from Duke, in that county, a third of all children were food insecure. A third of all children were food insecure. And it was within that context that I started to realize that this sort of ideal that some of us live into, not all of us, are able to achieve. Some of us have more than enough, and others wonder if they will have enough. The Apostle Paul, in going to Corinth, was dealing with this as well, with those that had to do and those who didn't have to do, and he would say to them, what kind of practice of eating around the table are you having when some of your members of the church will gather and eat till they're full, and then others will just have scraps. Paul was addressing a class issue in the context of Corinth, where some would eat meat because it was sacrificed at the, at the Roman gods and the temples of the time, and they would eat till they have their full, more than enough. And others were hungry, partly because they felt that God didn't want them to eat food sacrificed to other gods, but also because they couldn't afford to do it. Did you know that there are 40, according to, uh, according to UH Manoa, 48%, 48% of children on Oahu are identified as food insecure. Did you know that? I didn't know that until I started to look, started to do the research. 15% said they didn't have enough food last week. 15% of the keiki on our island didn't have enough food last week. 
How many of you have leftovers sitting in your fridge from the dinner that you had out recently? Now, I'm not trying to shame us, right? I'm not trying to say that we are doing something drastically wrong that, you know, we can't. But what I'm trying to say is perhaps God does have something. Sorry about this, guys. My mic is just popping here. Perhaps we have something, God has something to say about our eating practices. Perhaps living with a principle of enough and not more than enough is a faithful call for us as Christians. You know, one of the ways in which we live out our faith throughout the generations of Christianity is of fasting. And it's complicated now. We could have an entire Bible study on it, and what would that look like? But one of the things that perhaps, perhaps you could do, if you were to say, feel a little sense of uncomfortability around the fact that you have leftovers in your fridge and then the realization that perhaps there's children that are food insecure is, every fall around November, we do a food drive together as a community. It's just one of the things that we do. So perhaps now, it's October 17th, Between now and that, let's say you were to go without one lunch. Or let's say for your dinner, you had enough. And think about it as you make one dinner, one week, or one lunch, one week. What would you have used? And then come food drive time, add up some of the savings of the food. You wouldn't even have to go to the grocery store to get extra food to give to the food drive, right? Because I know that's what we all do, right? We all go to the grocery store and we grab a little bit extra of this or extra of that. Or, you know, if we're so busy, we just pull open our pantry that's just ah, full of food and we just grab out whatever is extra, right, that's in there and we put it in the box to give. But what if from now until that time we're intentional about maybe, and I'm not saying go hungry, but instead eat with the principle that God teaches the Israelites of enough for just one meal or one day. I was startled when I was working with an organization called Stop Hunger Now to learn that, and this is, you know, where I grew up, learn that we have more than enough food to feed the earth. More than enough. And there I drove past the silos my entire life of grain upon grain and never knew that. And I never knew that parts of the world lived their diet as part of their faith. I never knew that parts of the world that even don't do that do it probably with a more sustainable practice. Because, friends, if you talk about the global climate and then you hear what people have to say and researchers have to say about the issues that are facing the world, you want to know one of the ways that we could change the world around the issue of climate change? The way we eat. And some of you know this, you're vegetarians, pescatarians, I know we got some in the room, and you know, by doing so, you save a carbon footprint for the entire earth. I wonder how we might act out a principle of enough as Christians, and know that God, in fact, calls Christians to do that throughout history so that others might have enough. 
because that's God's desire for us. It's not that we have an overabundance or an extra. We will talk about what it looks like to feast and to fast later on All Saints Sunday as part of this series, because there is a place to celebrate and to have more than enough. But perhaps we don't need it for every single meal we have. And perhaps God wants us to live with this principle that God wanted to instill within the Israelites as they moved out of slavery and bondage and into the promised land flowing with milk and honey, that the promised land that God has in store for us is one where all have enough. And we can stand by and we can wait for our governments to change their policies and for, you know, whatever new things to roll out within the issues of climate change. But I promise, unless we change, nothing will change. So how might you live with enough? Maybe it's just around meat. Maybe it's taking that one meal a day and thinking about what that would look like and giving that to our food drive when we do that food drive. I don't know what that looks like for you. But I do know that God calls us to feed the hungry. And I was startled to know 48% of children on Oahu and 15%. That hurts. It hurts especially since I'm one of the ones who raised my hand with the extra my fridge. Let us live with enough so that all might have enough. Let's think that God does call us to eat in ways that care for others and the world. And we might find that as we do so, you'll live a life of abundance even when it's on enough. I invite you to pray with me. Holy and gracious God, it's not often that we think about the ways in which you call us to eat differently. And so even if it's just for a season or even if it's just for a day a week, Help us think about how you might be calling us even to this day, just like the Israelites, to live with the principle of enough. Because all that have been born upon this earth deserve to have enough. And especially as we look in our local community, let it break our hearts that some of our children go to bed wondering if they'll have enough food for tomorrow. And let us do something as a community. Even if that something is changing our eating habits. Because we want everyone who's been born to have a seat at the table where they can grow, thrive, and nourish, be nourished. Help us be people that do just that. Create seats where all have enough. Amen.